This is the show where we let you inside the doors of a world-renowned personal training studio. Welcome to the Enterprise Fitness Podcast. I'm Mark Atobri, owner and founder, here to introduce the episode with Enterprise Master Trainer, Reese Adams, and our guest, Jeff Savant. Jeff is an ex-Navy SEAL. I don't think you guys know what it means to be an ex-Navy SEAL. I mean, I sure as hell didn't. And in this show, Jeff and Reese, well, Jeff gives you some really good insight about the process of actually what it takes to be a Navy SEAL. And the process, quite frankly, is designed to break you, injure you, eliminate you until you give up or you get through, in which obviously Jeff did. And talk about, or I should say, Reese talks about the mentality uh, about you know the difference between being a Navy SEAL compared to being just a, in the military compared to just being a civilian. And Jeff gives some really good answers and insight. I know I got a lot out of this podcast. It's the kind of answers that I just want to hit the gym after because I'm so pumped and motivated by the wise and, and uplifting words of Jeff. So it's a really awesome part of the podcast and really special that it's really some special stuff that I think he shared in this episode. As Reese and Jeff speak about the show, uh, it's probably good to give you some background about Jeff. Jeff uh, is an NFL and NHL strength coach and also is the co-author to Thrive, which is a book that was released uh, from Gymnastics Bodies with the co-author with Christopher Summers, obviously from Gymnastics Bodies. Chris Summers is a very smart guy, the pleasure of uh, doing a, a, a course with Chris and got a lot of great insights in that. So that book, check that one out. Again, this podcast, I think it's some of Reese's best work so far. Uh, I know I got a lot out of this podcast and really, really enjoyed listening to Reese uh, and Jeff speak. I mean, they, they sound like they've known each other for years, but you know, this is the first conversation that they've had. Reese just does a really terrific job on this on this show. Uh, the song in the background, by the way, if you guys like this, is the instrumental version of the official Enterprise Fitness theme song slash anthem. I got this track produced by my buddy, Jamin, and uh, yeah, I have on the real track when it gets released, Washington, this is the real track, this is the instrumental, but on the song that we released, uh, we have a pretty awesome person rapping on it, it's uh, Protocol Sun from the Wu-Tang Clan slash Sons of Man, and uh, that's going to be out pretty soon, but I hope you enjoy the instrumental at the backing of this, and uh, without further ado, let's bring on the show with Reese. Welcome to the Enterprise Podcast, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time out to join us today. Can you please give us a brief overview of how you made the transition of being a Navy SEAL to becoming a sought-after coach? Yeah, well, that's a long road there. Um, So I joined the SEAL teams when I was 18 years old. And at that time, I was interested in fitness, but interested in fitness like a kid, and like a non-professional, um, you know, I rode my bike, I played baseball, but I wasn't in the gym doing, you know, periodized programs or anything like that. Um, and when I was 18, I went to buds and it's predominantly an endurance based affair. But once you get out of buds, it's, it's, it's really weird in that the things that they do to test you aren't necessarily the physical traits that you need to be successful at the job. So I became more involved in fitness, almost more uh, uh, obsessed with it in, in a way, um, and nutrition as well. And being a, being a Navy SEAL is always a competition, whether it's with your peers, yourself, 
um, any, any way you can make it a competition. It's just that kind of community. Um, and over the years, I just never thought good was good enough and just wanted better. Um, and through a ton of trial and error, I learned what sports performance really is. And I think most importantly, even more so than the stuff I learned is what I didn't learn and what sports performance isn't. Um, and I got so into it that at some point around 2010, my love for the iron game shadowed my desire to be a Navy SEAL. And I just, I just saw being in the teams as something that got in my way. They would be the, you know, the command would be like, Hey, you're going to go to, you're going to go to Iraq. And I'm like, dude, I'm coming up on this intense phase of my cycle. And they're like, what? what? We don't care. You're going to go eat MREs and you're going to go do all this. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm tapering it up. And they're like, what? We No, stop. So <laughs> at some point, you know, it, it, it just, it, it, there was a paradigm shift of, of what was the most important thing to me. And being in the SEAL teams after 10 years lost that battle and, you know, every day since then, just pure fitness. So uh, how that came to be a coach, um, well, I had lots of good contacts in the SEAL teams. You know, one thing they're really good about is hiring really top-level people, and you get the opportunity to meet with the best people. And um, one of the people I got in contact with was was Charles Poliquin, and he really opened my eyes to the beginning of of what really is training. And, um, I think it was all just downhill from there. Like I, I hung out with Charles for a long time, for a lot of years. And how did you come to come, uh, become in contact with Charles? Was that through the SEAL team? Uh, indirectly. So I was there for the SEAL team, lack of a better term, take that very loosely. Um, but I was there personally to, to try and, you know, get some pearls of wisdom at one of his seminars. And I did some consultations with him and, uh, he went out of his way to consult with me and we would go out to dinner, go out to lunch for the rest of the week. And, uh, we just stayed in touch and I've always shot questions at him, taken advantage of his time, uh, flown to see him. And, um, he's hooked me up with other people, uh, to learn from. So, uh, it, it was a good learning experience, but, um, I think that's how I, how I came to be into coaching was I liked what he did so much that I kind of wanted to, to follow it and to pursue, uh, you know, fitness is, I just use it for a generic term of whether you're a power lifter, weight lifter, physique, whatever. Um, the only way you can really do it is to own or work in a gym. So to facilitate your hobby, you basically have two choices. And uh, I just chose to, to own a gym. Yeah. And for you, I, I saw that you work in a CrossFit box. Um, with that said, uh, how, how did you become to, to, do, to choose to work in a CrossFit box rather than, um, say, a regular personal training studio? The reason I ask that is... Um, the traditional CrossFit way is um, all about wads and uh, not much periodization. And you sound to me like a, a smart guy who periodizes his, his training. 
So how did that come about? So I started with CrossFit because it's one of the things that are heavily pushed in the teams that randomized fitness, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's a relatively easy gym to get off the ground. And to be quite frank, most people are far, far less advanced than they think they are. And I think there's a lot of people out there that could benefit from just very, very basic training. And I'm talking about like, I could, I could probably make improvements in a lot of people with just a barbell, just a 20 kilo barbell, no weights on it, nothing crazy. Um, so I think there's a lot of good things you can do with the CrossFit model. And I think it's very easy to get started. The negative of the personal training style gym to start a gym is the huge financial investment. So I just took it one step at a time with starting a CrossFit gym. And then, um, you know, as I got more and more money, I reinvested in my company. And, you know, the first, I'd say, substantial thing I bought was uh, one Illico weight set. And I just kept adding and adding them. And after I think I got to eight Illico weight sets, I, I bought a set of Watson dumbbells and I just, just randomly kept adding things. So um, my gym's a CrossFit gym. It's a bodybuilding gym. It's a weightlifting gym. Power. I, I don't care. Do you remember back in the old days when they made the, the television – or excuse me, not the television show, Arnold's uh, Pumping Iron? And, yeah, the, mo- the movie. Yeah. yeah. And you see some of the footage in there, but in that era – uh, physique guys, weightlifters, and powerlifters, and if CrossFit was invented back then, probably CrossFitters, they all trained under one roof, even though they had different disciplines. And in a lot of gyms, um, like York Barbell, they all trained under one roof. And I think just the whole Iron Game culture is awesome. And I think there's stuff you can learn from from each of those that benefit the other. Um, that's not to say that... Uh, clean and jerking 200 pounds is going to get you any physique competition wins. But, you know, I mean, there's principles you can learn from each one. So I'm, I'm, that's really my underlying style is to kind of try and jam all those different fitness cultures, lack of a better term, into one group, one roof. And it just happens to be called CrossFit at my gym. Yeah. With, with that said, who would you say your main clientele are? Um, for the gym itself? Everybody from all walks of life. We have some really cool uh, younger kids that are uh, pretty talented track athletes. We got some really good weightlifters. Uh, we got moms. We got everybody. Um, as far as people that I deal with, just right now in the time of year, the Super Bowl just got over, so the NFL offseason's ramping up. It's pretty much NFL players. Um, but that takes my time up until they go to camp in July. Yeah. What kind of work are you doing with them at the moment in their, in their off season? <clears throat> well, we start from, from fairly far away. Um, and in the NFL, it's not, it's not if you have an injury, it's what injuries you have from last, last season that are new. So we deal with those. We include, we, at, at this stage in the game, you could say we do maybe some more hypertrophy work. You know, we're not doing top end strength work and general preparation strength, uh, not a ton of running, 
Um, this is, this is probably the easiest time that they have in the gym, but by no means is it easy. It's just, you know, get back in the groove for the year. This month will, you know, you're getting back in the swing and coming in the gym six days a week, going to bed at a decent time. Um, depending on how far they made it into the off season, they might've had a couple weeks off or, you know, if they didn't make it in the playoffs at all, they've had a little bit of time off. So they're not in tip top shape right now. So we're not pushing any, you know, PR lifts or anything like that. We're just general preparation, getting them conditioned because next month it's going to hit hard. Yeah. And then working into, I guess, strength phases as they come back into to see. Yes, exactly. Awesome. What structural balance tests do you use with your clients? <clears throat> well, it depends on who it is. Um, for most people that walk through the door, um, watching them get out of the car and walk to the front desk is, is, is pretty telling. Um, you know, uh, the structural balance tests for lower body, for example, you know, the knee caves in, you're, you're thinking VMO, but trail the leg down when they're walking in the parking lot and look at their ankle. Do they walk on their ankle? Are they flat footed? Is that why the knees caved in? Just watching people move when they don't know they're being watched, in my opinion, is the best assessment that there is. With that said, I do a modified version of Charles's uh, structural balance that includes most of his stuff. But I would say the most surprising thing is that you're constantly structurally balanced assessing somebody. Anytime you, you do an agonist-antagonist pair, you can bust out a ratio and you might not have any normative data for that ratio, but you can start with that individual and, you know, go from there. For example, if you do an A1 and A2 bench press dumbbell row with a client and you notice that the ratio is off, one of those you can adjust to do six sets on and the other one five sets and then you move on. So you basically just don't do the last set of A2. I mean, that sounds very basic, but that's all strength conditioning is. It's, it's just a series of those really basic adjustments over and over again. Um, but back to your question. Um, so I use every workout for that. And all I ever try to do is just find the weakest link. Um, and, and, and I favor movement more than I do anything else. So even if they PR on, say, a back squat, but eh, they round their back a little bit, nothing on it, nothing too alarming, but it just doesn't look as crisp as their last PR, I'll, I'll still take that into consideration and say, okay, maybe we need to, you know, work on the back more in the next phase or, or something like that. So I guess I'm always doing it with every lift. Yeah, if that's an answer. Yeah, there's always the the science of training and the art of training. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I'd love to, uh, and my approach is so pragmatic that people think I uh, sometimes think they're, I'm probably brain dead, but um, the science of it is really awesome, and I love reading about it, and I'm just infatuated with it. But after years and years and years in the gym. It's like the more complicated I get with people, the less results I've gotten out of them. And when I walk up to them, I'm like, all right, man, you ready to go? And 
and the way you treat them and the psychology of it. And you're like, all right, pick this shit up. It's amazing. You're like, wow, this guy's this guy's total tonnage is is increased by thirty percent just by the way I personally interact with him during the session. So, um, <laughs> I'm getting off on a tangent here. No, sorry. that's okay. It, it's always about the basics. Like with uh, supplementation, you're wasting your time if your nutrition's not right. Uh, same with training. If the basics of training aren't right, you can't expect, say, for example, your legs to grow. If you don't train hard on the back squat, but then you go really hard on the leg extension, your leg, leg extension is only going to get your legs to grow so much. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Okay. Um, so I want to talk about your nutrition system. So basically, okay. it's a, my understanding is it's a behavior-based nutrition system, and you've called it Thrive. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. That's it. So I collaborated with coach Christopher Summers from gymnastics bodies. You ever heard of them? Yes, I have. My boss has actually done a course with Christopher Summer. Oh, very cool. Yeah. He's a U.S. national team coach. Um, he's the leader in the kind of that gymnastics realm of fitness training. And he's got a really, really good system to deliver information in a practical fashion that presents it in a way that people will digest it, do it, and then see results and get accomplished from it. So it was kind of a no brainer. He's got really good insight and he's doing a lot of things that I just don't see from other online training for lack of a better term. But I would never call him an online trainer because he was also a national team coach for 30 years. I mean, um, Alan Bauer is an OU guy and you can Google him an absolute monster, a possibility for Rio 2016 and coach Summers coached that kid from two and a half feet tall. So I don't, I just want to put that out there before I call him an internet trainer. Um, but he he's really has the internet style of training dialed and he kind of took my nutritional advice and put it into a way that would be a step-by-step -step systematic approach that doesn't let people fail. Um, you know how it is. If you, you know, you tell me when, when you assess and work with somebody for the first time, for me, half of it's just determining how much is this person actually going to do yeah absolutely there's a, a few telltale signs like say for example we get them to keep a food log how they present that food log is uh, one indicator of how they're going to uh, be in terms of compliance yeah and i think a, a mistake that i made early on in my career is that i would just pour it on people i thought the more i gave them the better of a coach i was and it's I don't know. You tell me the, the more I find it's like one thing at a time. And then I see the person in three years or I look back at a picture of a person from a year ago and I've been training for the full year and I'm like, wow, that's serious progress. Yeah. So some, some people respond better to, to, I guess, having direction of where they're going and then giving steps. Whereas some people just go, okay, just don't overwhelm me. Just give me one step. I, I do find that uh, you have your ranging clientele, but yeah, absolutely. You, the main objective here is not to overwhelm the client. 
Yeah. And, you know, when it, whenever we start talking about the overwhelm the client thing, we always it always registers in people's brains like, ah, oh, this is basic. This sucks. It's not for me. But the basics are the best place to be. Being a beginner is the only place where you can lose body fat, gain muscle, get stronger, get faster all at the same time. The more advanced you become, the harder to do any one of those things by themselves it becomes. So with that said, the whole system isn't based around dumbing it down so much that there's no performance there. It's just distilling it down to get rid of the, the BS. For example, the first step is a water goal. And I just don't see any point in spending, you know, two, four, however many hundred hours a month on a supplement protocol. If when I find out that you're drinking one glass of water a week and you're a camel or the human equivalent, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) And there's a lot of people like that. And, and that one particular example I'm using, because I think a lot of people resonate with that one, but there's a lot of other examples, you know, throughout the whole course, there's basically 40 steps and, um, it really has a nutritional step and a lifestyle step that coincide with each other. They're, they're presented in a video with a essay below it. And then if you still have questions, you can jump on the form that's attached to the course and ask questions. Um, I try to explain everything in the most clear terms I can, but what I found is some things are different in certain countries. And um, for example, Greek style yogurt isn't called Greek style in Germany as it is here in the States, they go by one, two, four, or 10%. So the Germans get on there and they're like, I don't understand what Greek style yogurt is. So, um, the form's cool as well. But anyways, back to your question. Um, yeah, it thrive is just laying the groundwork for your nutrition program for the next 10 years. So it's in, in maybe a way that you could best understand it. It's the program that you complete over the course of 12 weeks that just keeps you at 10% year round with putting as little effort into it as possible. That way, when it is time to, to, to get focused and you're going to do a comp or you're going to do something, then your jump point is you're jumping from nine or 10%, not you did your last comp, you went crazy. And now you don't even want to say your own body fat that you're so embarrassed type deal. Yeah. So it's, it's mastering the basics for sure. So let's talk about basics. So water, how do you come up with the number that that person needs? Um, well, I'm going to be really vague on this one, but that's just because it's part of the course and, and part of the steps. But there, I'll, I'll just address the underlying question is how do I determine what is optimal? So yeah. my style of nutrition is all about what is optimal. Uh, For example, paleo is a huge nutritional movement and paleo has a lot of awesome principles and it's probably the single easiest way to explain to somebody in less than 200 words how to eat healthy. But with that said, I think there's a few things in there that, that I just don't agree with, but um, the principles of the water goal are just to find what's optimal. Um, 
sorry, I completely lost my train of thought there. I was going to go down that, that paleo thing for a minute. I'm like, no, come back, come back to the water bowl. Um, anywho, so what's optimal? I, I'm not, I have no allegiance to any one particular type of system. I would be a vegetarian if that was the most optimal way for human performance. But, you know, eating complete proteins and, and various other things is a little bit tough sometimes on a vegetarian diet. Um, so back to the water bowl. What is optimal is, is very rarely a step that you can give somebody that they're going to go to from exactly where they're at to get there immediately. So there, there's generally intermediary steps that I find. I don't know about you. Um, for example, if you said, I want you to drink half your body weight in ounces of water per day, for me, that would be 100 ounces of water. And I'm using myself because that's an easy round number. But how many 200-pound guys that just walk into your gym are going to turn around one day and start putting down 100 ounces of water, given that that's optimal? Um, I, I don't know. Um, but what I can tell you is not as many that if we break it down into, into manageable steps. Um, so that's kind of the system of thrive is breaking it down into those steps that, that things can get done and done effectively at, and then move on to the next step. How, how do you decide how much is a reasonable amount of water to increase? Do you sort of just talk about that with the client or do you have a number in mind? Um, well, how I do it in person, you know, when you're dealing with one-on-one -on -one in person, you can feeling somebody out a whole different animal than, um, if you're thinking about thrive, because thrive is a set, uh, system that is a little bit different for men and women, but in person, it's really easy. It's very, my approach for the nutrition is very similar to my approach for the structural balance is I constantly never stop assessing. It's not like I'm going to create this three week nutrition plan. Then we're going to assess you. If I'm doing your nutrition, that means I'm doing your training, which means I probably speak to you every day or I'm the one training you. So in between sets and in between reps, I can ask just little tidbit questions, not open-ended questions that are going to take a five minute answer, but simple yes, no questions, you know, this, that, and the next. And I really just feel people out and try to push them, but never take them out of their zone of something that they're capable of doing. Cause I think once you set somebody up for failure with implied steps, um, you know, the old, the old healthy cookbooks that are like, Oh, this is a 15 minute recipe that actually takes 45 minutes. Yeah. Uh, I try to stay away from steps like that with people. Um, so I'm giving you a really ambiguous answer because <laughs> I don't always address it in the exact same way with everybody. But generally, as long as they don't complain, I just keep pushing on them. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm going to stop digging at that one with you because <laughs> uh, it doesn't sound like you want to go too in depth with it as well as it's... Um... Like you said, it depends on the client. So what, let's move on to males and females. So with them, okay. you said that it, it differs. So which areas would you say differ for males and females on the system? 
Um, the amounts of food differ and the amounts of water differ. Um, you know, we, we talk about sleep in the course and, and that's the same between men and women. But as far as the steps go, men and women are doing the same steps at the same time. However, there's different water goals, different amounts of, of this and that that you have to eat. Cool. Um, how frequently do you assess clients' nutrition? You were saying that you assess them ongoing, like asking them questions and thing, things like that. But how, how often would it be that you say, for example, I saw you do biosignature. How often would you do their biosignature? Given that they've made good performance, um, like they were focused, they were on it um, every two weeks is about about average. Sometimes I go a little bit longer, but that would probably be the average amount of time. Yeah, I agree with that. I find it's enough time to see a difference, but not so long that they can go off track. Yeah, it kind of kind of keeps them, you know, wrangled in. I think every week there's there's not a big enough difference, and then it becomes monotonous as well. Yeah, and they become psychotic. <laughs> yeah, 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 very much so. So you, you obviously use uh, calipers because you use the body signature. Do you use girth yeah. measurements or anything like that, um, or just skin folds? Just skin folds. Yeah, same as us. And I like to do the pictures with it because people are very receptive to skin folds, but a picture of somebody that's gone from, you know, 15% to 10% body fat, that just, there's just no words or there's no numbers for that. That resonates with them. Yeah. And some of them will say, I don't feel any different. You do their body yeah. fat measurements and <laughs> they, they look like worlds different. But to them, yeah. it's like, oh, really? Those people that are um, always underestimating themselves. Do yeah. You, that's, do you get those clients? Yeah. Yeah. No, I get them. I think you probably get them more than I do because you probably do some really extreme transformations down to that comp prep. And I, I can only imagine if someone told you when they were comp ready that well, I don't really feel any different that I'd be like, are you kidding me? But, um, yeah, I, I hear it from time to time and it, it makes me scratch my head sometimes. Yeah. And then you'll dig deeper and you go, oh, are you clothing differently? And they're like, yeah, I've dropped three pant sizes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had to get a whole new wardrobe, but I, you know, nothing's changed. Yeah, moving on. Uh, what would be the three most important behaviors of the system that you uh, believe are important in developing a healthy mind and body? I would say the single most important of the three is an accurate self-perception. I think a lot of people... Uh, don't accurately assess where they actually are. For example, uh, you had mentioned I, I own a CrossFit gym and I think that CrossFitters get the brunt of, of this uh, self-perception of just because you can train for the games doesn't always mean that every individual should. And if you're 45 years old and you haven't worked out since college, Today is not the day to start training twice a day to get ready for the games in a couple months. It's like, 
you just really got to be aware with yourself and, and know where you are and start from that step because the fastest way to get to where you're going is to be aware of exactly where you are and, and start at your current level. Um, number two is discipline. I think people don't always have the best discipline within the individual training session. Um, dropping a set off the end, or I should say dropping um, effort put in, you know, like, ah, oh, it's fifth set, okay. Or just little things like that or missing sessions over the course of 12 weeks. What's, what's your attendance like? You know, you miss two, three, five, six. Uh, that, that's a discipline issue. And then discipline when they're not at the gym. That's, that's probably the biggest of the three, um, the whole nutrition game of it. Um, and I just think those two points are so big that I rarely ever look past that even for, for the third. Um, and it's really hard to get people to, to agree, to think that they're maybe one or two steps back from where they really are. So that whole accurate self-perception thing is probably where I spend most of my time with people. Yeah. Yeah. How do you know when someone's ready for the next behavior? Is there like a, a set amount of time that you expect them to, to be uh, doing that behavior for? Or is it um, you wait for them to come to you? Or how, how do you determine that? Um, in the Thrive course, you get a new task every Monday and Thursday. And then there's a um, iPhone app that you log into and at the beginning of each day, it'll say, you have to do this. You have this, this, don't forget to drink your water. And as you complete those tasks, you check them off. When you get a task, you have to complete it for one week consistently before you get the next one. So you got to show that you can do it for six consecutive days in a row and the steps are compounding. So when you get a new task every Monday and Thursday, it's, tasks added on to not taking the place of. So step number one, as I told you, is water goal. You, on Thursday, you're now going to have a second step. Then on Monday, you're going to have a third step, fourth, and so on until you get to the top. And just through my years of biosig, that's kind of the pace that I found that most people do really well at is people that train and take the training seriously, if you, if you try to get them to change two fairly significant things a week, um, that's, that's, that's pushing pretty hard, and you can make pretty good change over the course of 12 weeks. Yeah, I agree. I, with uh, your system, you, I get the impression that you're quite the innovator. Do you have anything in the pipeline that you're currently working on, Jeff, or um, is this top secret? Well, <laughs> um, no, it's not top secret. Um, I'm going to add on to Thrive Level 1. So Thrive's been uh, available for a few weeks, and I had mentioned that we had a user forum where people can go and ask questions. We've had a fairly significant demand. People want an extreme fat loss course. So I'm going to make an extreme fat loss course probably next. And then I'm also going to make a level two of Thrive 
future down the road for people that just want to take it even one step further than where level one ends up. Other than that, I have no idea what's after that. Who would you say the system is best suited to? Well, you know, I base the system off the work I've done with professional athletes and, and their meals are made for them, but there's still great info to be collected from that all the way to women who have recently given birth that want to get that weight off and, and want to get back to, to working with what they are. So I've done a, a really thorough job of trying to make it apply to, to everybody out there and just strip it down to the bare essentials of human performance and nutrition and not go down any um, specific roads that don't apply and don't have the most bang for your buck. So I think everybody can uh, benefit from it. And again, it's a sustainable plan that once you're completed with it, you should be able to stay on it for, for 10 years. And that's your, that's your base plan that if you want to jump off and do comps from it, then you get focused down and you start, you start getting after it. Or um, if you're going to do a specific extreme sport, that requires dietary change, then you go do that for a focused amount of time, but then you come back to this home plate kind of style of eating so that you never slide and your health never deteriorates. I like that you say that, Jeff, because what I find a lot of competitors try to do is they try to comp get healthy by competing. You need to be healthy first before considering competing. So to do your system and, and be healthy Sounds to me like a great idea. And then consider doing a competition. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because unfortunately, the way your physique does uh, basically looks doesn't mean that you're healthy. <laughs> doesn't represent <laughs> that. Just because you're shredded doesn't necessarily mean you're healthy. Yeah, but as long as you're shredded, that's all that matters, right? <laughs> How can our listeners find your nutrition system? It's on gymnasticsbodies.com and it's called Thrive. It's on the top column there. You can just click on it. There's some information on it and uh, you can sign up for the course right there. Awesome. Easy. So I want to get stuck into some mindset stuff with you. So okay. What, what was it that made you think it would be a good idea to be a Navy SEAL? Like, What went through your head to think that was a good idea? Well, one, I was young. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, no, all jokes aside, um, I was a really active kid and a competitive kid and, you know, right around that time, nine 11 happened and I had always wanted to be like really good at something. Like I thought it would have been so cool to be world-class at something. And the way all those events came together, it maybe seal just spoke to me. Um, and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And I went and signed up and told my dad. He's like, uh, all right, cool. <laughs> he didn't, I don't know if he believed me the first time, but um, yeah, I was just young and full of energy and you couldn't tell me nothing. And um, it was a blast. If you could do it again, would you? Absolutely. I, I think I learned so many things. Um, I don't even know where to begin. I got the opportunity to travel the world and just see some things that you just don't get to see 
be in some opportunities and some experiences that are just one of a kind and make some friends that are my best friends still to this day and will be until the end of time. Yeah, my brother's in the military and he's um, much the same. That's awesome. He uh, just recently got back from Kabul. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. Can you give us a rough idea of what tests you had to face to become a Navy SEAL? Well, the the most notorious one of them all is is BUDS. Um, and probably the most challenging thing of BUDS is what's called Hell Week. So you stay up for a week straight and you basically do think all things miserable for that one week. Um, you're cold, you're wet, you're sandy the whole week and you carry around these boats on your head or you drag them. And I don't remember how heavy the boats are, but they're heavy. And <laughs> it is absolutely miserable. And it's a week long. I mean, you just keep going and going and going. And at some point, you just become delusional. You're so tired. And I think you just check out of your own brain. We're talking absolutely no sleep, not even a, a nano nap. Um, you probably can sneak a nano nap because... If you're not cheating, you're not trying, but you're certainly not laying down at night. That's for sure. How did, um, how did they keep you awake? Did you have to drink coffee or take any stimulants for that? No, they don't give you any of that stuff. So they, they, they keep you so miserable that you pretty much can't fall asleep. Um, you're in the surf zone, you know, you're out in the ocean, you're getting sandy on the beach, you're paddling these inflatable boats around, which is pretty hard work, you know, after you do it for hours on end, they have you, you know, swimming around in the water, um, doing various obstacle courses with fairly significant style obstacles. Um, you know, you, you, you have to scale things. I think one of the obstacles that you have to scale is almost three stories tall. Um, and it's just never ending stuff that they constantly have you do. It's completely plotted out perfectly and systematically timed. But from the student perspective, you have no idea what's going on. You are just checked out crazy on cruise control. Just it's hilarious when you watch it from, from the outside in, but that was by far the hardest of all the training. What would you say is the successful completion rate of that? Like how many people would you say drop out? Oh my goodness. The, the, the true attrition rate, I don't even know because when I went to boot camp, they give you this really cool slideshow and you'd have to be crazy not to sign up to want to be one of these guys because they make such a good video presentation. So you get in the pool, you have to swim uh, 500 meters and you have to do some push-ups, some sit-ups, some pull-ups, and then do a mile and a half run. And you have to complete the whole thing in a minimum amount of time and a minimum amount of reps for everything. But it's fairly reasonable. Like you don't have to be a world-class athlete to get it done. And we were in a full Olympic pool, not, not your usual 25-meter pool, but a full Olympic pool. And it was so packed when I did that test. It was literally like being at a concert, just like shoulder to shoulder in the pool. And when I got out of just the swim, the first event, there was only one guy left. 
that wow. one guy that one guy went to buds with me which is the first part of seal training and 215 other guys just like him and I showed up and over three quarters of those people were gone at the end. So just to produce two, it required, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred people to get in that pool that day. And then of the couple hundred of those that went to buds, you know, a couple dozen made it through. So I don't know what the attrition rate is, but was that it's just, not good. Was that just because of uh, they, they couldn't make the distance or was that a case of uh, in the pool there was a bit of uh, nonsense? <laughs> Some guys not I, wanting others to get through. I think it was probably both because uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I swam extra fast because I just grabbed on the person's ankle in front of me and pulled myself along. So <laughs> that, that's thinking. Yeah. Hey, if you're not cheating, you're not trying, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, <laughs> but um, after a while it got out that, you know, part of those people just watch this really cool motivational video. You know, it's like we referenced pumping iron earlier. You watch pumping iron, all of a sudden you want to go to the gym. You know, same deal. Yeah. What was it that got you through testing? Was there any thoughts that were going through your head or anything like that? You know, it, it, this is a question I, I get asked a lot and I've never come up with a good answer for it. Um, I think the ability to make it through those challenging things is the ability to not have to have those conversations with yourself. You know, if you're in a negotiation with yourself, you've kind of already lost, um, you know, to reference it back to a workout. If you're like, ah, you know, I don't know if I should do this last set. If you're already, you know, kind of on the fence, it's only a matter of time before you're, you're just not going to do it. So I think I was lucky in that I was pretty hard headed, but I think you've just got to keep those thoughts out of your mind and just shut those things down right away. So any self-doubt comes into your mind, just boom, done, stop, on to the next thing. And you just got to break things down into manageable um, sets, if you will, or reps. Um, you know, if you got to run 10 miles and say you get a break every mile, you just it's just a series of one miles, you get a break, just only focus till getting that next break. Yeah, I like, uh, I like that thinking. I actually did a course with Tom Platts, if you've heard of him. He's a bodybuilder. Yeah, with quads. Ma with massive quads, yeah. So he, yeah. his way of getting himself through those sets was, I can do five more reps or I can do three more reps. And he would just go, okay, yes, I've got a 20-rep set, but I'm just going to do five. I can do five. And then he'd go, okay, I've done five. Let's do another. And then that's how he got himself through. Yeah, I think the worst thing you can do is, is, is view the, the objective as a whole because that just it, – it almost makes it really easy to quit when you see how much you have to go in front of you. But if you can have the discipline to just break it down into those segments like Tom Platt's, I mean, clearly it worked for him. Yeah, exactly. You can't eat an elephant with one bite. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So did you do anything to prepare for it? Like any uh, training preparation or um, even mindset stuff? Did you do anything like that? Um, I didn't do any mindset stuff. Um, just because, you know, you don't know what you don't know. 
But for physical training, I put a, a great deal of emphasis on it. But again, you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, I was doing a piece of paper that I got from a copy machine that I found a workout of that, that um, some fit guy at the gym gave me. So he's like, Hey, just follow this. And uh, it was like push up pyramids and um, sprints and jumping jacks. And, you know, have you ever seen the movie dodgeball? Yeah. It's probably the fitness program that they would do <laughs> for dodgeball. So I was absolutely lost, but man, did I, did I give it hell and, and I did my best. And that was one of the things that kind of led me back to doing what I do is that, man, if I, if I knew one tenth of what I know now as that kid, I could have done so much better. It would have been so much more performance I could have got out of it. Buds, Navy SEALs, all that stuff. It's never going to get easier. You can, the most alarming question that you can get from a, a client or somebody who wants to be in special forces is they want the edge to make it easier. It's never going to be easy. If you want to be good at anything, it's always going to be brutally difficult. You just want the edge to be better. And that's why I do what I do is that I can now provide that edge to get better. You don't got to walk around lost like I did when I was, you know, a kid trying to do these stupid push-up ladders. Yeah. So there was no warning of what you had to do um, or anything to prepare for. They didn't give you any anything like that. They did, but it was so vague. And back then, there was no internet. Whereas I go on some of these sites now, and I think there's people that haven't even been to Navy SEAL training that probably know the sequence of events better than I do. <laughs> You know, just internet dweebs. And there's more information out there, but guess what? Not any more people are making it through. Information yeah. isn't, isn't anything without action. So that, That's a very good way to put it. So, Was there times that you felt like giving up or was that never an option? Uh, I'll give you the cliche answer. No, it was just never an option. It was just never really something in my thought process. I think that, you know, as we talked about breaking that 10 mile run down into one mile increments, I think I just was really good at naturally doing that. And I just developed into doing it better. Plus any, any time anything got hard, I, we always did a really good job of, of finding the humor in it. You know, the old statement, misery loves company. Um, we found the jokes in it and, you know, I was an 18 year old kid. There was no way I was going to call my father on the phone from San Diego and tell him I'm a quitter. So good job the last 18 years, you know? So <laughs> have you gotten, your, have you gotten yourself injured with that attitude at all? Um, with training or I think you already know the, I think you already know the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've got myself uh, injured on a number of occasions for sure. Um, most of them doing really stupid stuff and very, very few of them training. But um, I haven't ever taken any really, really bad injuries. Have you, have you hurt your back at all or anything like that? 
never hurt my back. My back is in perfect health. I have, I've broken hands, wrists, um, rolled ankles, yeah, done things to my knee. I don't know that I had the best medical attention for the couple of those. So I can't exactly tell you what it was, but it was swollen knee type stuff where it doesn't move. Um, couple of shoulders, but I've been lucky. No hip, no back. That's very good to hear. For you personally, did you find it hard to train to be a Navy SEAL or did you find it more difficult being a Navy SEAL? That's probably the best question anyone could ever ask about Navy SEALs. And I'm surprised you came up with that question, to be honest, because it would almost take a Navy SEAL to come up with that question because everybody focuses on the training and um, kids contact me. They're like, I'm going to go to Bud's in two years. I want to prepare now. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, that's great. And two years never actually comes because all they want to do is train. And I'm like, hey, man, if you're putting off the training, you're forgetting the job that you have to do. The training only prepares you for the job. It's analogous to going to college and getting an accountant degree, a degree in accounting to then become an accountant. If, if you don't like it in college, you're not going to like it when you go get an accounting job. So it's, it's that ultra competitive, always trying to be better than the next guy um, culture that's developed in buds, but it never ends. It only gets worse. Now, you don't have to do Hell Week ever again, but you, you, you better show up with your A-game every day. Yeah. So for you, I saw that you were in there for almost a decade. Yeah. Um, so, so it continually got worse. Um, was there a drawing card that you're like, I've had enough? Or was it just purely, I just want to get stuck into my, more of my training? I think it's, you, you get used to it um, to a point where after a number of years of doing it, it becomes easier just because you've been, you've got so many reps at it. You've been doing it for so long and you know, with practice comes perfection. So I think in that aspect, it got easier. And I was never in at an age where age affected me. So I was basically in for my twenties and your recovery through your twenties is always great. So I was never in when I was, you know, like, ah, oh, creaking joints and things like that. But, yeah, I don't know. I just, I guess I got lucky. But, yeah, that's pretty much it on that one. If you could do it all again, uh, what advice would you give to yourself? I think if I could do it all again, the number one thing that I would have changed was my fitness program. <laughs> the dodgeball program. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was the single area that I could have improved in the most. I mean, you just have to show up to training with a good attitude and a never quit mentality. And the more in shape you are, the more you stand to be the winner of more events. Um, and I would have liked to have won more events, but you know, with limited fitness, it requires more exertion 
and day in and day out, it grinds you down. And so that that's probably the one one thing I wish I would have done better. I I would go back in time and fix. Yeah. With that said, your fitness not being as good as uh, you would have liked it to have been, it sounds like your your mindset and your your um your uh, I guess drive is what got you through. So that says a lot about that. Yeah, yeah, that was that that part was there, but um, you know, you always you always, you always want the edge. <laughs> it's human nature, isn't it? Always. Was there anything you learned from being a Navy SEAL that you could transfer to your coaching career? Oh man, I think everything applies. I think that the concept of being a Navy SEAL is is having the luxury, if you will, to put you in the same situations that everybody faces every day in the gym, they just have a great way of taking the motivation of it out of there. For example, if you're fighting for your life, you're never going to wonder like, mm, should I take a week off? Like you don't have a choice. Like just keep going. So you don't ever have to like watch YouTube videos for motivation or any of this stuff. All you got to do is figure out how to do your job and your tasks and your skills better and through that process it kind of teaches you something about motivation setting goals and really just the perspective on life and I try to set everybody up that trains with me on these you know perspectives if you will of truly what's important and placing things where they are you know I think every coach out there that listens to this can relate to every time a client sits in front of you for the first time they are willing to do what it takes to be a pro. Seven weeks later, whole different story. So where did you lose them in there? It's easy. Yeah, you could blame them for that. But, you know, that's why we work out. You know, that's why you work out. That's, what I, that's why I work out is we learn all these skills and share them with them. And I think my SEAL team career was just learning those skills through a fire hose of discipline, that self-awareness. Uh, that we talked about earlier, life's perspective, what truly is hard and what isn't, um, and just expectations of your life. Uh, I mean, I could go on forever. Do you find that clients, when they start training with you, they, they sort of expect you to be like a drill sergeant and they, they do absolutely everything you say because of that? Or do you get some clients that come to you and, and um, haven't done their research? Um, no, I think everybody knows. And I think most people find it surprising how, how laid back I am. They, they think I'm going to be more, more intense with them than I am, but I'm just a performance based guy. If, if, if we determine and we set these goals for you, well, if you don't meet them, you get one side of me. And if you do meet them, <laughs> you get it, you get another side of me and, and I do whatever I can to, to get my people to meet those goals because if they don't, no matter how much of it's their fault, some of it is still my fault as the coach. So it's a, it's a team effort. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like, you got to be the mind and they got to be the muscle. You got to like do all the thinking and all this stuff for them and they got to show up. It's, it's, it's quite a pairing. Yeah. Is there a potential of you to come out to Australia, Jeff, in the near future? You know, yeah, I love it. I've been there one time. Um, we jumped down there from Southeast Asia 
we landed on a military drop zone in the Northeast. We did like three skydive jumps with your guys' skydive team. And it was super windy. And I thought I was going to die. And then literally after the third one, we got in the plane and flew back to Southeast Asia. So that's, that's the only thing I've ever seen in your guys' country. But I would love to get back there and check it out. Did you see any kangaroos or drop bears? No kangaroos. No kangaroos. I saw a little bit of water and a drop zone. <laughs> what about drop bears? Did you see any of those? Nope. <laughs> Have you heard about drop bears? No. So basically, it's just a, a myth that we tell, uh, I guess, people from overseas that we have drop bears, um, but basically all they are is koalas. <laughs> well, that's good. I didn't answer yes then. <laughs> one, one, one thing I've been told is um, with Special Forces guys or um, SAS uh, in the Australian case, uh, basically, in terms of their mindset, they're in the place that they are because... Um, they're either really good at what they do or they'd be in prison because uh, it's just something that they're, uh, I guess, cut out for. Um, but with that said, it was very surprising talking to you because you are so laid back. Yeah, I agree with both, with both of those points, though. I mean, the job cultivates a mindset and a personality type that just doesn't do well with down the middle, you know, most SAS, SBS, SEAL team guys, they're all very polarizing guys. You know, you meet them, you either love them or you hate them because they don't do anything down the middle. They're either extreme or they're not. And I think one thing people misinterpret, and that's, that's what you find surprising about me is people find to do hard things, I think most people have to rely on the skill of being angry to do them. And I think that, in my opinion, that's a weakness. You should be able to do things with a clear mind without having to add an extra emotion in there because anger alters your judgment of what you'll do. You know how it is. You're angry. You're going to respond and snap at somebody. Same thing in a judgment call in a decision that you can't mistake. So, Having to be angry in those situations is actually a disservice to you. So you got to learn how to be tough and do it smiling and yeah. be laid back about it so you can keep your mind open and focused for what, what targets are actually going to approach you. Yeah, I'm a big believer in not letting your emotions uh, guide you. And obviously, anger is an emotion, so that's going to influence your, your decision. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if your training buddy beats you by three reps, it's perfectly mad. It's perfectly fine in anger to do an extra set to beat him. <laughs> I've, I've, got some, I've got some questions here for you from um, just basically uh, each time I do one of these podcasts, I, I put uh, that I'm going to be interviewing uh, whoever it is, yourself this time, and ask yep. a question. So basically, these are the questions that I got. Um, there's not too many, so um, let's get stuck into it. I've got one here from former Australian welterweight boxing champion, Fred Tooks. Uh, he would like to know what food you recommend to clients for sustainable energy and optimal brain function during a tough workout. Ooh, well, for a boxer, uh, let's go with paracetam. Uh, are you familiar with what that is? I am. It's a nootropic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So cell membrane fluidity, you know, the research with uh, concussions, you know, boxing, getting hit in the head. 
I think that's that's a really good stay focused, stay energized, increase your uh, cognition throughout the rest of the day uh, supplement for a boxer. Um, for anybody, I'm a fan of of not only branch chains, but essential amino acids, you know, the other six of them. Um, I think branch chains do a good job of turning on mTOR, turning on, you know, the signals for lack of a better term of anabolism, but what you, you got to have something to put in the, you know, you get what I'm saying? You got to have something to put in the muscles. So if you, if you only take branch chains, I think that's, you're doing most of it, but you're not, you're not doing everything you could. Um, and those would, that, I would say those are probably the most important two that I'd recommend for him. Yeah. And with paracetam, uh, what kind of a, a dose do you use? Because there's um, heaps of uh, different uh, dosages that people recommend. What have you found to work best with your clients? You know, I, I will start people off really, really low and just go up from there because I've had a couple cases of people getting headaches and they're pretty convinced it was, it was from paracetam. So I'll even start people um, with half a capsule and I'll just put it in like a, a pre-workout uh, shake style of deal with. Um, yeah. So if we're, if we're talking powder, it'd be like 500 milligrams because the capsule I'm guessing would be a gram. Yeah. So yeah, half capsule. Um, I have powder, so I'll, I'll scoop sometimes a hundred milligrams. Um, none of the paracetam I have is, is in capsules. So I'll just go with you and say that, uh, a capsule is a hundred grams, but, uh, so I give them a hundred grams and then how much on the upper limit? Oh man, I'm not even going to answer that question. I have seen people go as high as like five grams. So that'd be like, if you're having a hundred milligram tablets, like 50 tablets. <laughs> yeah, I don't, uh, you know, I think the dose response for people is so ridiculously wild that, that, um, I don't think five grams is that much for some people if, uh, it actually works for them. Yeah. I guess you're looking, um, we're always taught to look for the bell curve. So say, um, on one, on the left-hand side of the bell, you've got not enough, so it's not causing an effect. Then in the middle, you've got optimal. And then on the right-hand side, you've got too much. And if you're seeing side effects, what's that a sign of if they're having too much? So you go, slightly back from that and you're going to be hitting optimal once those side effects go away yeah no i i, I like it i use i i like the bell curve thing how you do it sounds really smart what i don't like about the bell curve is i think people just rely on it so they take the the median average the problem is that's the smallest part percentage of the population is the people right down the middle um i usually start at the back end of it and then work up until I get something from them, like uh, beta alanine, they like itching for 25 seconds in between each set. I'm like, all right, we've got, we got the right dose here. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a, another, another two questions here from my boss, Mark Atobre. His uh, questions are, what mental factors separate a Navy SEAL from an ordinary Army or Navy personnel? Um, I don't know what separates them from an army or, or a regular personnel. I don't want to say that, you know, somebody in the army is not as tough. I'm, I think as a Navy SEAL, you kind of get a credential 
It's like having a PhD in tough guy, right? So everybody's like, wow, you're, you're a tough guy. Like, you know, like we all think, hey, you're a doctor, you're smart. But that doesn't mean that you're the smartest guy out there or that you're the toughest guy out there. Uh, you know, there's always somebody tougher than you. Um, so as far as what separates, I don't know. I think the commonalities amongst Navy SEALs is they just give themselves options that are only positive outcome options. So it's never, do I stop and quit? It's okay. I did five. Can I do three more? type deal. You just take it piece at a time, piece at a time. And I think what you'd find is most Navy SEALs encapsulate everything in a joke. So you just got to have a real joker mentality. Otherwise, just the shit is so insane that it'll drive you crazy. There's no way somebody can do this. And it it just blow your mind where you just got to be able to laugh in the face of it. So, I I mean, you really just got to have a sense of humor. As bad as that sounds, that's not real good advice. So that's, that, that's why you have such a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, probably because I can let anything roll off my back. You know, like, hey, guess what? We're not going to feed you for the next three days. <laughs> We're going to drop you off in Afghanistan where everybody wants to kill you. And you're like, sweet. I've heard uh, stories of the SAS having to dig holes and bury themselves. Um, have you ever had to do anything like that? Um, I've never buried myself, no. <laughs> No, nope, never done that. But uh, we we have a, a fun one where we sit in water. So we do this up in Alaska in a river, and they have this this matrix. So they weigh you, and then they take your height. They put the water temperature in, and it spits out via some algorithm how long you can spend in the water before you get hypothermia. And you go sit in the water for that amount of time minus about 30 seconds. So you're about 1% away from having full-blown hypothermia. And then you're expected to find a way to, to reheat yourself up in the wild. So, so that don't reheat you. You're, you're on your own. Oh yeah. You're on your own. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the funny joke about it is, is you have a little bit of your equipment with you. And because you're so numb, you'll start your little fire. And a lot of times guys will just like stick their fingers practically in the fire, but because their hands are numb, they don't know that they're burning their fingers. (laughs) And did that happen to you? That happened to my boot. So I had my little fire and I was kind of like, you know, Indian crisscross sitting over it and, and the toe of my boot was in the fire. So it completely like melted the toe of the boot off. Were you wondering why you're warming up so quickly? <laughs> no, I didn't think anything of it. I was like, ho hum, ho hum. And it was before I walked away and I was, I was warmed up, you know, the drill was over and I'm like, oh, what happened to my boot? And my foot was sore, you know, man, my foot was burnt. And it, it, it never occurred to me in the moment. It was just like, I'm getting warm. <laughs> what, what mental factors would you say separate a Navy SEAL from an ordinary civilian? Um, focus. What I see a lot of people is, is uh, and you know, all the people I, all the new people I meet are people that come into the gym for the first time to work out. 
majority of the new people I, I meet, um, and they come in and they lose focus. I think you got to be able to commit to something or what separates a Navy SEAL from a civilian is the ability to commit to something and see it through to the end. So I don't think you would ever get a Navy SEAL to pay for, for 12 weeks of training and not take advantage of every single second of it. Whereas civilians, there are those people out there that, you know, don't complete their 12 weeks. So I think it's just a matter of focus. You got to, less is more. That's, that's a book. And, um, I think that's just a really good Navy SEAL principle. You're only going to be good at so many things. So focus and drill down on what it is you're going to be good at. Yeah. Another very good answer. I've um, actually trained a few army guys wanting to get ready for a show. And um, in terms of their discipline, it's second to none. They just, okay, what do I need to do? <laughs> and they'll do it. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's, that's kind of a military approach. And then just, you know, special forces, SEAL teams, SAS, SBS, those guys just take it to a different level uh, of that same uh, thing. But I think that focus is, is hugely important. And that's what I was talking about that is uh, one of the things I learned as a Navy SEAL. That's just another one of them that, that all that stuff applies to every facet of life. Yeah, I had one one of the guys, he was um, cooking every day. I'm like, you know, you don't need to cook every day. You can just <laughs> cook for a week at a time. He's like, no, but this is my routine. I said, okay, I'm not going to mess with your routine. <laughs> That's awesome. So thanks for coming on the show, Jeff. How can our listeners follow you and keep your wisdom coming that way? Oh, man. So let's see here. I, I stay away from the internet more so than most people. Um, I'm not very good about putting blogs up. If you buy the Thrive course, you can get me in the forum. Um, but my email is jeff at trident-athletics.com. You can drop me an email. Um, yeah, there's no no real places other than Thrive where I get out there on the internet. I just like to spend my time in the gym training people or consulting with people who are trying to produce results. And I just find when I write a blog post and put it out there for free and try to, you know, share some wisdom with people that some little dweeb has to write some comment below that's like everything you just wrote was wrong. And by the way, I'm 40 pounds overweight and don't know what I'm talking about. Like keyboard warriors. Yeah, I just want to punch this guy in the face and it takes all the satisfaction out of uh, writing something. So... I mean, I enjoy doing what I do and the more people I can affect and coach and, and do this stuff is awesome. I just, I'm just not a big internet guy um, in that sense. So yeah, in the trenches, I guess guy. that's a good answer. Yeah. I mean, in the trenches guy. So I did some research on you and in terms of finding stuff on you, it was quite hard. It was almost like you were, um, <laughs> it was almost like you were a top secret. Yeah, yeah, I do a pretty good job of, of, of flying low. <laughs> so in terms of just getting in contact with you, it'd be uh, your website. And um, do you have Facebook? I tried to find you. No, I don't have Facebook. Okay. Um, yeah, because all those same weirdos will find me. And, <laughs> and a YouTube the, channel? Do you have a YouTube channel even for Trident? Um, 
It's going to sound really bad. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate um, your honesty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I know email is old school and everybody out there is like, nobody even uses email anymore, guy. But I mean, that's, that's my primary form of communication. Um, that's how I got in contact with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's about the only way to, to, to get me. Um, and, you know, the only reason I've written stuff online is – uh, coach Chris Summers or Charles, I've written four or five things for Charles. It, like they just bend my arm to write stuff. I'm like, all right, all right. When, so, when, you, when you've written it, did he um, put it on his Strength Sensei website? Uh, it was on the previous one. Oh, and yeah. I think now those since have been taken down because yeah. they were, they were uh, 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 collaborated articles between him and I. Yeah. So. Okay. It, it, what were those articles on, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, the first one was on a smarter way to do CrossFit. So this was back when, I don't know how many years ago, when CrossFit was, quote unquote, the wad, before CrossFit started looking into Westside Barbell, before they you know really started getting heavy into Olympic weightlifting. And the general concept of it was, you know, to do your A1, A2, B1, B2, whatever it is at the top half of your workout, whatever your priority is. And the last bit of your conditioning was basically CrossFit. So say you subscribe to a day that you have uh, upper body horizontal push-pull, right? Chest, back, lack of a better term. You know, at the end, you could do as many rounds you could get perfect set of five pull-ups and five uh, convergent bar dips and accumulate as many sets as you can in 10 minutes. But that, again, that would be after your primary work. Yeah. Uh, and it was like a four or a five part series or something like that. So it got way, way in depth. And I think I put together like a 12 week cycle of how you could go you know, accumulation, intensification all the way through one cycle while, uh, you know, maintaining the camaraderie of CrossFit. One of the cool things about it is that you can get a number of people in there, you know, you can get two or three training partners. Um, one of my pull-up workouts, as a matter of fact, I stole from uh, Tony Para and JC down in uh, uh, Dominican Republic. And um, they showed it to me one day and I just turned it into a, a CrossFit workout where you just change the grip basically every set and JC and Tony are monsters. They're doing like 10, 12, 14 reps per set. And you know, I mean, we're like six, seven, eight sets across in 10 minutes and we're talking perfect pull-ups. We're not talking about, you know, like swinging or, or kicking your legs. Uh, so you can make CrossFit fun in that way with the training partner at a little bit of, you know, like that SEAL team competition at the back half of the workout while keeping your primary training objective up on the top three quarters, top half of your workout. Um, and that was the first article I wrote for Charles. And I think the second one or the second series was something to do with, uh, nutrition and, uh, supplementation and training for special forces. Would it be possible to dig these up and dust them off? Or are they uh, long gone? Um, well, I might be able to find them for you. Um, 
I can I can ride over there and and see if they have them. But uh, they were they were pretty cool articles. Um, you know, the gist of the whole special forces thing is uh, grip strength is the ultimate determiner of how well you shoot of all things in the gym. Um, for most people, the trigger pull of nine pounds, which is is most double action pistols or rifles, is more uh, finger pulling strength, for lack of a better term, than most people have. So the only way you're going to do it is to pull the trigger with your whole hand, essentially, and you instantly see the whole problem when your hand rotates 10 degrees one way or the other when you're pulling the trigger. Um, but, you know, again, that was a multi-part series, and uh, I'll see if I can dig those up for you. Yeah, that'd but, be uh, awesome. I would say the one jewel that you would take out of the whole Special Forces one is that if you plan to hold on to a gun, you better have some legitimate grip strength. That's a good way to end this podcast, Jeff. All right. That's a, that's a great tip. I'm sure we'll have many people um, <laughs> needing to have that grip strength for the, the pistols they own. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, it's not the same over in here in Australia. Um, it, it's a little bit stricter with gun rules over here. But um, some, some very good advice. All right, yeah. Thank you very much, Jeff. And Thank I'll, you. I'll speak to you shortly, I'm sure. What an amazing podcast that was with Jeff and Reese. As always, guys, if you want to get in contact with us, it's info at enterprisefitness.com.au. If you want to do a consult with Reese, it's the same email with me. If you want to you know, inquire about our courses, anything at all, all goes to info at enterprisefitness.com. Of course, check out our website at melbournepersonaltrainers.com and check out the other shows that we've done. They're they're absolutely fantastic. Reese is absolutely dope on these podcasts. So, you know, show support. Leave us a review on iTunes. uh, Share it on Facebook. Tweet that stuff. Instagram, a picture of the podcast that you're watching. All the sharing, all the love is always very much appreciated. And of course, let us know what you think on Facebook. You know, comment. Don't be a stranger to it. We love hearing feedback. That's how we get better. We're we're feedback machines in that regard. So, till the next podcast, folks. Train hard, supplement smart, and eat well.